Welcome to Beauty and Mr. B, my podcast. I'm Mr. B. I'm not sure how closely you've been following this series on what I'm calling the phenomenon of modern anger, but I'm grateful if you have at least been trying to keep up. So far, we've explored how anger is often expressed in the world today. We've considered the emotion that appears to lie at the center of modern anger. And most recently, we've addressed the question of what in fact serves to trigger our feelings of anger. Today, our goal is to better understand why it is exactly that we react to anger the way that we do. If you're much like me, your first reaction to the surfacing of this emotion might be to harness every ounce of self-control in an unrelenting effort to avoid and deny any and every feeling of anger, to run and hide from an emotion that we've all been taught to view negatively as unproductive and to rationalize as destructive. Hey, that's what I did for much of my own life. Remember the first two diary entries of this series, where before coming to grips with the reality of my own anger, I openly and vehemently denied that me, Mr. B, would ever succumb to such an irrational emotion. Anyway, it's now time for us to dig into the central question of this diary entry, to explore what truly lies at the root of our efforts at avoidance and denial. Why is it really that we tend to run and hide from feelings of anger? I first became intrigued by this inquiry when I began studying the work of the 19th century Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard, who's been credited with erecting the conceptual framework for what in the 20th century would become known as the philosophy of existentialism, which, by the way, is the dominant worldview in society today, took the time and effort to openly consider the psychological effects of living within the emergent urban, industrial, and capitalist societies of Northern Europe. He used a French term to describe the psychological effect of living within modernity. Ressentiment. Sorry about my complete and total inability to pronounce anything French. This idea of ressentiment, I'm afraid, is not the easiest to understand or explain. Perhaps our most logical starting point might be its English counterpart, resentment, the sense of indignation that can arise when we've been treated unfairly. But in French, the meaning of ressentiment appears to be much deeper and far more nuanced, in ways which I think will be much more helpful to understanding the true foundations of modern anger. The Oxford English Dictionary defines this French idea as, quote, a psychological state arising from suppressed feelings of envy and hatred that cannot be satisfied, unquote. One more time, please. Ressentiment. Quote, a psychological state 
arising from suppressed feelings of envy and hatred that cannot be satisfied, unquote. By breaking down this concept into its component parts, I hope we can begin to grasp the true root of modern anger. Let's break down this psychological state into three component parts. First, the emotion at its core. Resentiment arises from, quote, feelings of envy and hatred, unquote. In modern industrial and capitalist societies, a gaping divide, an abyss, if you will, has emerged between those with material wealth and those without. As I understand Kierkegaard, the mass without material wealth come to envy the few who, over time, have come to possess more and more of society's money and influence. This envy can become so strong, so intense, that it will eventually rise to the level of hatred. Hmm, why? Here, we must refer to the second element of ressentiment. This psychological state, which I understand as the phenomenon of modern anger, arises from feelings of envy, quote, that cannot be satisfied, unquote. Such envy of wealth and influence, in other words, constitutes a particularly insidious form of jealousy that will not and indeed can never be satisfied. In our world, such a wide chasm has opened between those with and those without material power that no matter how hard I might try, I will not and can never succeed in closing this gap. Those without material wealth, in spite of each and every best effort, will remain entirely powerless to overcome their envy, such that gradually, over time, as I understand Kierkegaard, this envy will inevitably turn into hatred. Okay, I hear you saying, I think I'm following you so far, Mr. B. This does resonate with me, but still, I don't quite get how my sense of powerlessness is related to the ways that I react to my own feelings of anger. Well, dear listeners, the third and final element of ressentiment might help. Living as we do within the context of urban industrial capitalist societies, our envy cannot be satisfied, hence our sense of powerlessness. And so, under these circumstances, it becomes natural, even seemingly rational, that we do all that we can to suppress each and every uprising of anger from within. I'll repeat the whole definition of ressentiment one more time, and this time I'll place special emphasis on the key word of this sentence. Ready? Listen closely. Ressentiment. Quote, a psychological state resulting from suppressed feelings of envy and hatred which cannot be satisfied, unquote. Yes, I believe that Kierkegaard was onto something. 
Our natural reaction to a desire that cannot be satisfied is to suppress that feeling. And that is, in fact, as I've observed, exactly what we do. Semi-consciously, more or less automatically, without much thinking at all, we seek to do everything possible to avoid and deny feelings of anger that naturally emerge from what we perceive to be our utter powerlessness to effectively address the gross injustices that increasingly engulf the world today. On the levels of modern society and the individual both, this sense of powerlessness that compels us to suppress our anger can be destructive. I'm not sure how well you remember what Stephen Jenkinson wrote on this subject, something I shared with you during the first diary entry in this series, but now may be a good time to return to his description of the anger he observes in increasing numbers of young people today. Quote, It doesn't happen every week, but kids do get in touch with me. They do come to the School of Orphan Wisdom and to teaching events, and without encouragement from me then or now, sometimes come up to the farm lane where I live in Canada, their hands curled into fists. You could think that they are curled in anger. Often they are, though it has been swallowed for so long that it takes a while for it to break the surface as anger. In one hand, these kids have an impotent rage, a rage that has had the energy leached out of it by futility and pointlessness and the chronic collapse of faith, all heat and no light. In the other is an aimless, wandering, principled anxiety dressed up as brittle conscience, all light and no heat. And these are their prized possessions. And that's why their hands are curled around them. Some of the time, maybe much of the time, that's what they have. That's all they have. Unquote. If this is all that one has, fists clenched tightly around the futility of powerlessness, well, now what? Is it really possible to move forward with life? Why would she? She's full of jealousy, even hatred, for those few who do, in fact, hold power. She's tried her hardest to suppress and deaden her own heart, the core of all genuine motivation, as she feels absolutely without the ability to contribute anything of value to the building of justice in society. Under these circumstances, why would she or anyone bother to do anything. Paralyzed by our own individual sense of powerlessness, it would probably be best to do nothing. Indeed, within this context, doing absolutely nothing, not even caring, seems to be the most rational decision in the face of what Jenkinson described as the, quote, impotent rage, unquote, of ressentiment. Progress, in short, becomes a virtual impossibility. Even more, once this idea of powerlessness has set into the collective consciousness, as it has in our world today, 
with enough caught in the tentacles of ressentiment for its blend of impotence, futility, and inadequacy to appear, quote, normal, unquote, even rational. It has become more and more difficult for there to be any real chance of progress in society. So prescient in the 1840s, believe it or not, Kierkegaard understood that the sense of powerlessness at the core of modern ressentiment was already beginning to impede progress in society. How? Well, once those in positions of wealth and authority have come to be the object of envy and hatred by enough people in society, this mass trapped within the vice grip of hatred and jealousy, will now, quite naturally, do whatever can be done to tear down and eliminate anything, everything, indeed anyone, worthy of true distinction. Here's Kierkegaard, quote, Resentiment becomes the constituent principle of want of character, which from utter wretchedness tries to seek itself a position, all the time safeguarding itself by conceding that it is less than nothing. The ressentiment, which results from want of character, can never understand that eminent distinction really is distinction. Ressentiment wants to drag it, distinction, down, wants to belittle it, so that it really ceases to be distinguished. And ressentiment not only defends itself against all existing forms of distinction, but against that which is still to come. Unquote. How about if I repeat just that part of the quote which is most important for us here? Quote, the ressentiment which results from want of character can never understand that eminent distinction really is distinction. Ressentiment wants to drag it, distinction, down, wants to belittle it so that it really ceases to be distinguished. Unquote. I invite you, please, to pause and reflect within your heart upon this profound insight for a moment or maybe two. Kierkegaard here has expressed an insight that within our lowest and material selves, our animal natures, so to speak, we can all understand. If I, for myself, cannot achieve greatness, become someone of true distinction, if I have come to hate those who possess the wealth necessary to influence the course of society, if I've come to envy those whose lives express higher paradigms of thinking with the capacity to transform consciousness, if I feel utterly without power to distinguish myself, incapable of raising myself above others, then what's left for me? Not greatness, certainly. But if distinction must remain forever beyond my reach, I won't feel as bad about my own lack of power my own inferiority, if at the very least I could tear down those who truly are distinguished, if I could lower those whose lives have risen to the point where they sincerely express the mark of real distinction. 
If the idea of distinction itself can be obliterated, blown to bits, indeed, if the pestilence of distinction can be exterminated, eliminated from our vocabularies, then maybe I won't feel so bad about all of my failures, my own inadequacies, my lack of influence and self-control, my own feelings of envy and hatred, the sense of inferiority and powerlessness that lies beneath the futile rage that we all seem to carry increasingly at the center of our modern lives. On a personal level, the insufferable envy of modern ressentiment at the center of anger today definitely interferes with our individual growth. On the level of the collective, too, this same felt sense of powerlessness renders it increasingly difficult, if not altogether impossible, for society to openly acknowledge, accept, and embrace someone, anyone, anything, an idea, individual, or group marked by true distinction, greatness, transcendence. Those genuine authorities whose levels of understanding approach the summit of reality. That transcendent individual who has received the capacity to guide the whole of humankind forward in unity toward a new order in the world distinguished by the justice of material prosperity and universal spiritual peace. The sense of powerlessness that lies at the root of our modern anger not only holds us back as individuals, but it also stops cold in its tracks the development of the whole of society. It might seem that this exploration of modern anger so far must lead only to despair and despondence. After all, the claims I've made up to this point, that ours is a world where more than ever we're being paralyzed by a perception of powerlessness which stems from anger triggered because of our incapacity to address the rising injustices of modern society, do not seem to leave us with all that much room for hope. Yes, I agree. These conclusions don't appear to paint a very rosy picture of the future. Still, it must be said here and now that I am optimistic, very optimistic, in fact, about the future. Actually, I'm filled with an incredible sense of hope for what awaits the future of humanity. Why is that, Mr. B., you might wonder? I'm not sure I understand. Well, primarily, it's because I know that so much of the pessimism that exists today results from our misunderstanding of power. It's an understanding that's way too narrow, a misunderstanding that excludes way too much of what is, in fact, real. In the next and final episode of this series, I will do my best to enlarge our understanding of the concept of power, opening the lens of our perception to such an extent that we might acknowledge and begin to live within the beauty of all that in reality surrounds us.
as we come to widen, heighten, and deepen our knowledge on the meaning of power, I am confident that together we can free ourselves and each other from the destructive grasp of modern anger and begin to more actively realize the tremendous possibilities for progress that await us, all of us, individually and as members of one extended human family. I hope that you'll want to continue on this journey through the phenomenon of modern anger to its conclusion with me. Until next time then, I wish you, yes, you and all of us, this. Peace.